0: For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please be seated. Let me encourage you to grab a Bible and turn that to John chapter number 14. We're going to spend the majority of our time there in John chapter 14. And we're going to discuss a question I was asked this week from an older lady who has been a member of the church for quite some time. She's not a member here, but she, she's been a member for quite some time. She's been exposed to the truth for a very long time in her life. And she asked me, you think we really can go to heaven? You know, sometimes we all need a little bit of assurance, don't we? Sometimes we all need everybody who are around us who have the same belief system, believing in God, to say, yeah, we surely can. Sometimes uh, it is the fact that, that Satan is so good at his job that the doubt that is placed in our lives really does take seed. Sometimes it's good for us just to go back and answer the question, can a person really go to heaven? The short answer there is yes. Y'all want more than the short answer, huh? Let's start in Genesis chapter number 3. Really in chapter 1 and 2, God makes all of the things that you and I know from all of the things that we can see, all of the things that we cannot see, All of those things that would be in the universe, all of those things that would be under the sea, all of those things that we know, he makes all of it to include, on day six, mankind. At the end of day six, as he's looking at the totality of his creation, do you remember what he says? Every day he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. On day six, he says, it's very good when God looks at those six days of creation he looks and says this is exactly how I want it to be this is exactly what I was thinking about this is perfect so as Adam and Eve are living within that particular uh, garden of Eden they're living in a world that has been untouched by sin they're living in a world that that would be as God as it would have left the lips of God if lips are even possible, as being perfect. And then chapter 3 happens. Chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and that serpent came to Eve and asked this question. Has God said that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? What a simple question. As you and I continue to study the enemy, Satan, what we're going to find out is these, these easy questions that he asks tend to hook people the most. She said, we can eat of any tree of the garden, which is true. then she says, except for this particular one, God says, don't touch it lest you die. And that's true. And here, here is where it happens. Satan makes a statement to her. That changes the way she looks at the authority of God. Here's the statement, "You're not going to die." Hmm. As a matter of fact, what God knows is when you eat of that fruit, what you're going to become is like a God. You're going to know right from wrong. You're going to have the ability and the authority to make those rules. You will be just like God and He's holding that back from you. Now, without a show of hands, just think inside of your head. Would you like to be the ultimate authority that anything you say goes? You would never be wrong. Our society lives like that and, and I'll be as honest with you as I can and as selfish as I am I think I would like that she began to look at that tree differently she noticed that that tree would be good for food she noticed it was pleasant to the eyes And she found out that that tree was one that would make her wise. You see, before she picks that fruit off of that tree, and before her teeth pierce through the skin of that fruit, she doesn't know about sin. She doesn't know about guilt. She doesn't know about death. But at the point in time in which that happens... She knows now. Now she's a little bit wiser. As we would say, perhaps, she's street smart. And I would bet you everything I had if I was a betting man. That if she could go back and erase that particular scene out of her life, to go back to the innocence that she had and maintain that throughout her life, I'll guarantee you she would have done it. There's an interesting idea that hangs on Genesis chapter 3, and that is with our particular formalized worship service where we are right now. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2, uh, that particular chapter deals with the formalized worship service and there's, there's a, there's a sp- specific set of jobs for males and a specific set of jobs uh, set out by God for uh, females during uh, the formalized worship service. In uh, First Peter or First Timothy, rather, chapter two, we're told why those things are. As a matter of fact, the last few verses of that particular chapter says uh, these things are going to happen, and and the man will lead because, first of all, Eve was deceived, which would let me know. On the flip side of that coin, Adam was not. One did it out of deception. One did it out of, I used to say stupidness, Randy got on to me, so foolishness. Hmm. And they were both wrong. And notice as you fast forward through that particular scene of their life, It happens in the cool of the day, that day, that God is is, uh, walking through or visiting that that, uh, Garden of Eden, seemingly like he always does. He comes to Adam and asks a question to him, and realistically, he's asking a question about Adam's family, not just Adam individually. Chapter 3, verse 7 or 8-ish, somewhere around there. He asks Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? This is God. Doesn't God know where Adam is? Is he asking where are you? I want to hang out like we're, like we're friends and, and uh, watch some TV or watch a game on the TV or, or perhaps we could sit around the table and talk. That's not what he's asking him. He's not asking the God of all creation who knows all things and sees all things and is everywhere all the time. is not asking uh, uh, Adam a question of geography. He's not asking him where he is geographically. He has that information. He's asking him where is he spiritually. And realistically, God in his Bible never asks mankind a thing for information and ask me what I think about this or or how it would affect me that doesn't even matter when God asks questions it's not for information it's for contemplation Adam exactly where are you you know yesterday you were right here by my side and now now seemingly there is a great gulf between us It would be Isaiah that would write in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, The Lord's hand is not slack, that he cannot save. His ear is not not deaf, that he cannot hear. But the thing that is separated between me and my God is, is sin. And it is Adam who understands that the best, as he's asked, Where are you? It is the relationship that is found previous to the biting of the fruit and previous to the taking of the fruit that God desperately wants to restore with us. It's that relationship that He wants. He wants us to choose Him. He wants us to be faithful to Him. And so we fast forward 4,000 years in human history to John chapter 14. One of the last conversations that will be had with Jesus the Christ and those handpicked disciples who in, in just a few days will become the apostles as, as they will meet in that house in Acts chapter 2 and as that... Uh, That Holy Spirit will will overpour that house. They'll be in charge of the church that is in its infancy. The last few words and the last conversation Jesus will have with these men. He begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions if it If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again unto you and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? And Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you notice how Jesus answers the question, will we be able to restore the relationship? Will we be able to go to heaven? First, he starts in in chapter chapter 14, verse 1, where he begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Notice this phrase. Many times you hear it read, if you believe in God, believe also in me. But if if you'll look very... Uh, deeply at that particular verse, there is no word, if, in there. He begins simply by saying, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Greek syntax and English syntax couldn't be further apart if you put them on the moon and on earth. It's just, the way, it's just the way it is. You have to take those words and you uh, have to move them into the English where they make a little bit of sense. Sometimes the syntax is just off. This particular verse uh, could be translated and probably a little more uh, wisely translated, Let not your hearts be troubled since you believe in God. Believe also in me. It's not the assumption that they, if you do, then you will. It's the, it's the assertion that since you do, you should also believe in me because I am his son. Because I am God in the flesh. I am the one standing before you who can, who can heal the body and heal the soul. And you've seen it. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because he's proven himself time and time and time and time and time and time and time 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 again. You remember when he healed the blind man in John chapter 9 or John chapter 5? And they stand back and are amazed. They've never seen anything like that. You remember when he's on the ship in Galilee and he says to the water, stop. And it stops. Peace, be still. And it stops. And they're amazed. They've never seen anything like that. You know, everything that he does in, in the miraculous realm they're amazed by it. Remember when he's standing in front of that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walked out. And they're amazed. He proves himself time and time and time again as the son of God. Ooh, we are running out of time. And they're amazed. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Since you believe in God, believe also in me. You're going to make this statement in my father's house or many rooms in the king james version you would see in my father's house are many mansions but the idea there is is one centralized house where everybody has a room now if you come to my house as a good southern boy i'm gonna take care of you provide what you need you right Were y'all taught that too somebody shake or nod yeah, you, you provide for those guests what they need. You, 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 you accommodate them as much as you can. Now let that idea of hospitality moving toward the realm of God. I'm going to give you a room and provide for you everything that you need. Not only is he going to provide everything that we need, uh, he's also going to compare that with the the idea of gates around the city known as heaven. You notice there are gates or there, there are walls around that city. Interestingly, there's no gate. That's a pointless wall, isn't it? No. That wall's open for everyone, it's also a sense of protection that God's going to offer, living in his house. I go to prepare a place for you, he would say. Now, if you're writing, I'm going to answer your question right here. What does it mean when John writes he's going to prepare this place? Are you ready? I don't know. But I'll give you some solace on the I don't know. I don't have to know. You see, that's not my job. That's his job. I'll just let him take care of that. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Take a few moments this afternoon to read through that verse. Let it sink in, good and deep, and then read right behind it, Galatians four, four and five. Galatians chapter four, verse four and five. Galatians four four will tell us that at the perfect time at the perfect place at the perfect opportunity Jesus was sent. In verse number five, so that we can be joint heirs. Where I can be right where Jesus is. you talking about the right hand of the throne of God? No. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the house of God. I'm not going to sit in authority the way Jesus does, but I am going to be a son of God and inherit those things. Can man really... Go to heaven? Well, God was convinced of it. So much so that he sent his son. Jesus was convinced of it that one of the last things he says to those men that he handpicks is, Make sure you are living right. Make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do because here is the reward. As a matter of fact, He was so convinced of that. He said, you know where we're going. You know the way. When Thomas said, I I don't think we do. (laughs) To where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the qualifier. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How many of you like language? There's generally a a divide. Either people like language and history or they like science and math. Who likes science and math? Put your hand down. No, you don't. You really don't. You like something else. You're just afraid to say it. Who likes English and, uh, and history? Good. You know what my favorite English word is? It's the same favorite word as the, the Greek word, and it's found in the Hebrew language also. It's the word T-H-E. You and I use it almost every sentence. And in 45 years, almost every sentence is a lot of sentences. Can you define it? The. To the exclusion of all others, the one and the only can be used in its place. Jesus would say, I am the way, the one and only way. The truth, the one and only truth. The life, the one and only life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a definite statement of truth found in the words of Jesus here. And here's the statement of truth. Can I go to heaven? Yes. But how? It's only going to be through me. Not any other way. Not any other truth. There is no other life other than that that is found within me. You want to restore the relationship that Adam and Eve had in that garden? Then do what he says. Hear him out and believe those things. John eight twenty-four. Repent of your sin, Luke thirteen, three and five. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew ten, thirty-two. Be baptized in water, Acts two, thirty eight, for the remission of your sins, being raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans six, one through four. When you've done those things, live in a way that shows your example to the entirety of the world. Matthew five sixteen. That's how every one of us. That's how every one of us makes it to heaven. Are you on the road? the right road, there. Are you faithfully walking down that road? If not, you need to obey God. You need to be submissive to His will and put on Christ in baptism, or you need to come back home. Make those corrections. Do those things right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.